is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly podcast. I'm Eric Cohn, the deputy editor and chief critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson, our editor at large. And Ann, we've got a whole bunch of fall movies to talk about. We're in that interesting moment where a whole bunch of stuff is starting to get announced, but little by little, we get these little sort of tidbits of information that are sort of like tightening the screws of the fall schedule. So. Yeah, it's like reading them, reading the tea leaves. Yeah, basically, um, actually, Eric, don't you feel, uh, I mean, obviously, we don't know what the actual final Telluride lineup is going to be. But if you look at what's a world premiere, every time there's a new announcement, you can sort of figure it out. But um, we now know that the Julian Schnabel uh, Van Gogh feature starring Willem Dafoe as the great impressionist painter. Um, is going to be closing night in New York. That was a big slot. It's interesting that the New York slots, all three of them, are, are not world premieres. And, and they're not world premieres, and um, and they're not movies. Well, Roma is, is a high, highly anticipated movie. They're not, but these are these are. It's not like the sort of thing where it, it's like you look at one movie and you're like that's the fall movie that, that, that is going to sort of be the game changer. It feels like... Well, I think The Favorite well, is looking pretty damned it. strong. But, it, you know? but it's, it's, it's still hard to say. I mean, because it's not, you know, not having them be world premieres and, you know... It's, it, no, but the reason, the reason one would do that, if I'm reading the, the people I've been talking to correctly, is that, is that they're, the be- they're the best movies yeah. for the public, for the people who are going to come and see them, as opposed to picking a lesser, lower quality movie or riskier, perhaps, movie uh, because it's a world premiere. They made the choice not to do that. Yeah, I think the having the three New York Film Festival titles kind of gives you a sense of, of, of three movies that, at this point, the, one of the most tightly curated festivals of the fall lineup. Um, th- these are most likely to be probably critical favorites. I mean, Roma, obviously the favorite. Everybody loves Yogos Lantimos. And then to have the Schnabel film. Now, honestly, I kind of forgot that this was a film title at all, At Eternity's Gate. Um, well, CBS Films is releasing it, and um, I knew it was in production because we did a story about it. I, I actually talked to Schnabel uh, when they were first going into production. Um, but yeah, I mean, CBS Films is going to be pushing it, and and their Terry Press, who's the president, is is no slouch when it comes to. Uh, Pushing Oscar movies. It's certainly a better reason for CBS to be in the headlines this week. That's for sure. But yeah, she also mounted a defense of her boss on Facebook. Yeah, so that'll um, be ongoing. But as I mean, Schnabel's an interesting guy because I mean he's made movies that you know, Diving Bell and Butterfly is an amazing movie, and then he's made movies that everyone would prefer not to talk about. And so he said, it's not, it's not, it's not, he's not quite like hit or miss per se. It's more just sort of like, he's very unpredictable, but he, but he, but he's also this, you know, extraordinary 
visual artist. And so the idea of him making a film about Van Gogh is it, it's it sounds like a, a very a natural match. And you know, well, yeah, he talks about how he go he's really dealing with the artistic process and the whole question of who you are making a movie for. He had no sense of who his audience was going to be. Um, Before Nightfalls was a really good movie. So the one movie you're talking about that nobody liked was called Morale, right? Morale. Yeah, Morale was really yeah, yeah. And Basquiat was a good movie. So there's really only one that kind of right. fell off the I suppose yeah. Diving Bell. That's a pretty good diving. I think that's a pretty good record. Not, for, not too shabby for a guy who's only made a couple of movies. I mean, Diving Bell is the one that really sort of crossed over into a, to a bigger, to a higher plane of, of recognition. But this is his fifth movie. Yeah. It's not like he's a baby, you know. No, no he's, he hasn't been around. making movies. No, I mean, the guy is at a very advanced stage of his career in a lot of ways. But uh, but this I also I mean with Defoe you know coming off of that nomination last year for Florida Project you can feel the the appreciation is still in there so it makes you wonder I mean how that's going to work in his favor I mean you have to assume that's a great performance he he doesn't really give bad performance yeah so. no I'm looking forward to it I'm 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 totally on board and as far as the other new movies that have been announced, um, we got the Xavier Dolan finally dropping it predictably for a Canadian homeboy in Toronto. Um, and whatever he's been doing in the editing room, whether it was finished in time for Cannes or, or not, uh, now we'll we'll see. He cut Jessica Chastain out of it, at least. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this this movie has been in the works for a really, really long time. I mean, the guy is like, in his 20s still and he's one of the most prolific filmmakers working right now he's got tons of stuff in post-production he just cranks it out and all of his movies are very different too i think this one's going to be really ambitious i my suspicion is that it's not going to be for everyone i think it's it, it's it from what i've heard over time there's a reason why we've been hearing about this movie for a very long time it's, a, it's been a hard movie to, for him to kind of rein in which is part of the reason why he wound up cutting this this uh, this big role that Chastain had in it. But uh, TIFF is going to be a kinder venue to this film than Cannes would have been if indeed it isn't for everyone. So this is probably, it's, it's a movie that will probably be able to survive whatever kind of challenges it might have with different kinds of audiences because of that. Because Dolan himself has a really strong fan base that I think has grown up with him to some degree. Yeah. So. Yeah, Very he's curious, not for everyone, but, but uh, I, I guess I'm always curious to see. I loved Mommy. I just loved Mommy, and then I hated his last one, but um, which was a bit intense. Um, but I would like, uh, I'm curious to see if he ever figures out a way to, to broaden his audience, which, you know, he doesn't have to. Yeah, but. he's not in any hurry. I mean. He, no, we'll see. We'll see. Um, and then the got, other the other movie that hasn't shown up, this that's the question. Which films are left on the table hiding? that we expected to see? <laughs> and one of those films, yes, exactly. What's hiding in place? I, we keep wondering when the uh, Focus Features movie Boy Erased is gonna turn up. Uh, and the word on the street is that uh, Joel Edgerton has been editing and uh, showed it very late to the festivals. And um, for the moment, uh, it looks like it might turn up in Telluride. Uh, we'll, we'll know when we get there. If 
Toronto announces it as a world premiere, it won't go to Telluride. And if Toronto puts it on the opening weekend, it won't go to Telluride. But um, we shall see which choice they make there. I'm certainly looking forward to the movie. I mean, the the story about the you know the Lucas Hedges as the son of a Baptist pastor who uh, comes out to his parents or is outed to his parents, and and you know there are, there are all these complications. I mean, it's it feels very zeitgeisty, and there is a, it's another actor who was recently nominated. There's a lot of appreciation for this young guy. It feels like that kind of a thing. Plus, Joel Edgerton is, is a really talented filmmaker who I think yes, he is. is often underappreciated. You know, he's a great actor. What's the name of that movie I liked so much? Was it called The Gift? Yeah, The Gift. That was a really cool noir or, kind of a thing. Yeah, he yeah. did a good job with that, and then yeah, he they, racked up the tension. Yeah, and his brother have been making short films for years. I mean, he, really interesting character who sort of obtained the celebrity thing in tandem with also evolving as a filmmaker. So I hope that movie is really good. And Focus, you know, they're on a roll, so there, there are some good signs there. I just wish that everyone wasn't on such tight deadlines to finish these things. I mean, you look at so we just today we got the trailer finally. For if Beale Street could talk, that movie—I don't know if it's done yet, but it's certainly down to been it's down been to in the, the wire. Room. It is yeah. down to the. Well, apparently, it has a very complicated interlocking narrative uh, between two uh, a romance between two young people and then uh, another story with 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 their parents and right. and uh, a group of older people in Harlem. I mean, if you want to know, James Baldwin. So, if anyone wants to know the plot, yeah. they can read that book. I, I right? read the book earlier this year. I would say it's. Anybody who's who's excited, especially if you watch this gorgeous trailer that dropped today, read oh, the book. The footage the book, was stunning. The book is very short, and Baldwin is such a great writer. You really feel his voice in it, but it pulls you along. And it's true. It was basically it's about a um, it's a teen pregnancy and and uh, and a couple, and the man, the young man is in jail for a crime that he didn't commit. And it, it's sort of about how both of their families react to this information. But it's really, it's like this kind of tender romance that both tells you the story of their courtship and the fallout of all that stuff at the same time. And this is, he's a, Barry's a very uh, intimate kind of director. And the, and, the, and the story has only a handful of characters. And, you know, at the same time, it's it's got this great sense of, you know, what the racial the tensions in America at this particular moment in the 50s and 60s were like. And what I thought was really striking about this trailer was that you actually hear Baldwin himself speaking in it, which is, a, I don't know exactly how that plays into the film itself, but it sounds like a really uh, fascinating narrative device. So this is a movie that I think is certainly going to be a talking point for the fall season. It's an interest, yes, absolutely. It's an interesting situation, though, because you have last year the movie uh, Moonlight going to Telluride and becoming this huge breakout. It wasn't that that he was a discovery necessarily, Barry Jenkins, but the movie was a discovery and, and everybody understood that it was going to go far and it eventually won Best Picture, the Oscars. Um, so so it's a different situation to follow up that movie with this movie. And that's why I think it's so interesting that they chose to go to Toronto over well, I Telluride. Think, I have to say, I mean... They could have gone to, I'm sure, I mean, I don't, we don't know, but I mean, they could have. Somebody done. made the decision that they wanted that opening right. weekend in but, Toronto well, more we, than they wanted Telluride. Right, but what we don't know is, 
could did, did they think maybe going to Telluride could have been an okay option and then playing TIFF later because that could have been the case. That could have happened as well. They could have done that if yeah. they wanted to. Right. And presumably so, Jenkins had that choice given that he has been a host at Telluride for decades. And you yeah. know you know the Telluride reception would be positive, but but ultimately, even though this... So, we don't know that. That's the point. The point is that I we... I hard to believe. I mean, it's just... Uh, that, it's, no, I'm not talking... I'm sure out. they invited it. That, that's not the issue. The question, when you talk about reception, you're talking about all the press who are all, all there looking for the Oscar contenders, right. which well, is what Telluride has become. Whether right. that's what they want to be or not, that is what they've become. Yeah, I suppose that it's, there's a tension between those... There's, there's two kind of ingredients there there's the oscar pundits there's there's you and a couple other people in that response not just then, a couple well it's a, let's say maybe a dozen people something like that in terms of oscar real oscar you know influencers and then you have the audiences including a lot of academy members and people who drive word of mouth i mean you can't underestimate that there is there's more influence than just what the Oscar conversation is. Oh, I mean, no question. It's a crucible. And that's one of the reasons why it has developed into the sort of pivotal Oscar moment for a lot of these films. But I, I, I seem to recall. It almost has become, you have to be really good to go there. But I, I seem to recall with Moonlight, it was like, it was, it did feel like a surprise in some ways. And I don't think it became sort of like an instant best picture contender in that case. No. Whereas it's built they, up to that. Yeah, but but in this for this movie, it's like. But it added a considerable credibility. Right. That was what got with, what they needed. And then this and got with this this movie has the credibility before anyone's seen it, which is yeah, that's yep. a challenge. And maybe the TIFF platform is the best thing. It's like it just it's TIFF or well, it's all, a TIFF or nothing. Decision. Yeah, yeah, it's a so basically. All right, let's just look at the elements on if Beale Street could talk, just in commercial terms. And again, it's Annapurna. And, you know, they're going to try to put their best foot forward, you know, obviously. Their their concern is that they have a movie that, I'm, I'm just suggesting, um, doesn't have a lot of commercial elements in terms of selling it besides Barry Jenkins. And that and even then, even after the Oscar win, it's not like he's an, a household auteur, you know? No, absolutely. And no. what are they selling? And Regina King, who's who I cannot, you know, she looks great in this, by the way, I have to say. It's a good night out of the movies, probably for a lot of people. I mean, you watch that trailer; it's just a very, it just feels very attractive. It's kind of yes, sexy, I agree. but important at the same time. It's very well done. I'm impressed with Annapurna right now. I have to tell you. I mean, well, the, well, they did a good job, uh, a very good job, with the Boots Riley. Sorry to bother you. They well, really did. It's still, it's Stunned still home. gaining traction and stuff. So, speaking of uh, festivals, we did get another really interesting update this week, which was the Los Angeles Film Festival lineup. And we've been talking about earlier this year how you know, this is the first time the festival has moved to the fall, what that's going to actually look like. So far, I mean, you look at this competition, I mean, it, it looks interesting. I didn't recognize any of the films or the filmmakers in these competitions. Honey, so. you say the word interesting. It's a, that's I'm keeping like it open. the entire world that it's nothing. Well, it's, it's boring a, and bad. It's really a, a word that carries a weird weight. 
Well, let me let me let me clarify. I would never put the word interesting into a review for that exact reason. <laughs> <laughs> I, in this context, I, I, I I'm I, I it, it's, a, it's what you what do you really mean, Eric? Because I you haven't heard of any of these films, is what right. you mean? Yeah, well, that's exactly what I I. Okay, so if if a name stands out to me that that is you know I've heard of them before and. You know, uh, sometimes I like your stuff, sometimes don't. I find it maybe kind of compelling or I'm intrigued or something like that. When I don't recognize any of the names, it's just, I just have no risk. This, this means that it's business as usual for the LAFF. And the question that still needs to be answered is what kind of galas, what kind right. of big special events they are going to announce, what's their opening night, what's their closing night. And if they can come up with some more juice than, uh, you know, this, we'll, we'll know. I mean, right. so, you know, I'm, I'm not dissing them per se. I'm just saying it's more of the same, which I, means I mean, they're coming from behind. But we don't, it's true that we don't know. I mean, there could be a curatorial strategy. There could be some really good gems hidden in here. And I think it'll be worth taking a look to figure it out. So it's, it's, it's just sort well, of, they're it's definitely going for diversity still. And, and I've heard behind the scenes that there still is a kind of a quota system going on there where they really are, are pushing for, uh, diversity in the in the directors. I have they, to tell you, I mean, I keep thinking about. I think it's forty nine percent or something. I, I I think this is a very good thing, and that there's nothing because there's there's clearly a a volume of work out there that allows for quotas to be a practical metric or rubric you could apply for the for the programming process. It's not so, going to do you any good if the movies are bad. Well, that's the thing. You you still that's have to the risk they've taken in the past, and that is the problem with their programming in the past. Yeah. You got you got to have a curatorial. You get burned. Program. You got to have yeah. standards. So that it's still an open question, but it is. It's kind of. I mean, you'd think we'd know some galas now. I mean, it's they. I suppose they're waiting for other festival stuff to settle. But um, being a fall festival in such a busy season must be quite a challenge in terms of figuring out what goes where. And we don't know what AFI is going to do either. That's another one that's sort of unclear. Well, so, they have the luxury of being last. Right. So their, their benefit is, is that, so the, the question for them is do those late breaking focus features like uh, Mary Queen of Scots or, uh, on the basis of sex, do do those December movies get an AFI berth or not? You know, there there's movies like that that are or the or the uh, Robert Zemeckis movie um, Welcome to Marwen. You know, these are these are the ones that that could show up. Right, but outside of that, we're starting to have a pretty clear idea now of what the fall is going to look like. We have yeah, more Toronto stuff to come out. We have more. We need to know the TIFF documentaries and then see more foreign stuff and, and all and that. And opening kind of night, we still need to know. Although, as many people have pointed out, opening night is no at Toronto, often really doesn't mean anything. Right. <laughs> so. I think the last one they had that really played big was Looper. But that wasn't a big awards movie. It was just a fun movie. It was just sort of a crowd pleaser. Absolutely. But that's it's a tough slot to fill, and they could upgrade any of these movies, right? The, if they have a Canadian film, they want, and, then, and then they don't get a different kind of opener, they could just upgrade one of the Canadian. Yeah, films. I thought they might take the D. Arcand, for example, the the fall of the American Empire, which is a follow up to his earlier movie. They could stick that in there, um, or the, the maybe the Michael Moore Eleven Nine. Oh uh, yes. 
It's so easy Michael to Michael Moore plays that. well in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> he plays well a lot of places. I mean, that's kind of the, the hidden secret about Michael Moore is that everybody thinks that he's, like, reviled, but he's actually, I think, he vanishes for a while, and then people will like him again. And, and that seems to be the potential here anyway, although we'll see. We don't really know too much about this movie except whatever he's been saying on late-night talk shows and stuff like that. But um, and it'll be interesting to see once we get more documentaries to talk about exactly what that landscape looks like, because uh, we don't, we, that's still kind of this big open question. Whereas the, the kind of bigger narratives seem to kind of cement it. I mean, as far as I can tell, we've talked through a lot here. There's, it seems pretty unlikely that a best picture candidate is going to materialize out of nowhere at this point. There's, no. There's not much in, in well, no, there could be some, some, all right, we've got the festival schedule what we don't have are the late december breakouts that's you know there's a whole nother set of movies then that could have some impact or not it depends yeah i mean who knows maybe welcome to marwin is actually this next masterpiece. <laughs> i mean steve carell with a bunch of dogs you know anything's possible but um, so uh, the, the other thing that uh, is going on in the news this week outside of all the festival stuff is uh, MoviePass. I thought it would be worth it for us to talk about that briefly because uh, it's been such a scene is such a game changer in terms of how a lot of people go to the movies in this country in a very short period of time. And now it's basically dead. I mean, it's if it's it's not totally dead at this particular moment, it could be tomorrow or any time. It's just... Clearly, clearly they well, ran out of money. If you have a movie, yes, exactly. If you have a movie pass, you are at this stage not guaranteed to get into the movie of your choice at this point. And and you see the complaints all over social media. Um, people couldn't get into Mission Impossible. They couldn't get into first run opening weekends of big movies. And there are certain theaters they can't get into. So the whole thing is a big joke at this point. But Chris O'Fault, of our, our, our terrific writer, uh, has basically made the point, which I agree with, which is that we should be remembering what we've learned from MoviePass in terms of what uh, they showed us um, that works for uh, moviegoers. And, and I assume, and I think everyone assumes, that there will be some other model that, that is more workable and sustainable that will emerge in the near future. Yeah, I'm sort of fascinated by this because, I mean, I don't know about you, but I live in enough of a bubble where I never had a practical reason to use something like MoviePass. I mean, I do know about you. We both, we see things at festivals, we go to press screens and stuff, but MoviePass was the first time I noticed a lot of people were, you know, sort of aware of how people are seeing movies in a way that made sense with, you know, whatever their finances are. And um, and and I, I'd like to see other kinds of experiments with it now. As Chris pointed out, in here in New York, we've got one of the best uh, movie-going cultures in the country, if not the world, with so many feet, you know, art houses. I'd love to see if somebody try to create a business model that plays up the possibility of going to art houses and seeing a much broader range of stuff. You know, in other words, so maybe you can get a ticket to Mission Impossible, maybe not, but there's so many other cool things you could go see, like go see eighth grade or whatever it is. And yeah, one of the things that struck me about MoviePass was that um, a lot of their biggest supporters were the art house cinemas, yeah. 
and they were willing uh, to work with them and they were willing to to, you know, make deals with them also. So th and, and I found that interesting because what yeah. it suggested to me was that the resistance was coming from the mainstream uh, chains, the, the big, big theater chains, and they really didn't want to and didn't cooperate and fought with and refused to make deals. And that's part of the reasons why the reason why they went down. So right. I agree with you. I think it would be great if there was an art movie pass. <laughs> I mean, maybe art house convergence, you know, that consortium of art house owners all over the country. We've been to their conference. Love to see yeah. them get together and figure out a way to create something like this because now it's been proven that the idea of having a credit card and, and an affordable way to buy tons, go to tons of movies on a subscription basis is, is feasible for people. You know, there's just, we need to see that continue to be something people. I agree with that. And the other thing that, um, that the big theater chains are doing is an AMC has, has their version of it. You know, they have, they have programs that are, that are working and, and that are doing better now. So they they've they've learned from MoviePass and 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 they're making uh, making concessions to their to their viewers. Exactly. So one step at a time. Well, so there's a new movie opening this week, and we've both had a chance to see it. And uh, it's uh, it's it's a movie I never would have thought, in some ways, would have even existed because it's it's it's, kind of, it's so peculiar in its premise. But Disney has made Christopher Robin uh, with Ewan McGregor as a grown-up Christopher Robin. Re reconvening with his old Pooh Bear and, and all the all the other stuffed animals from his youth, and uh, who are alive and kicking and yeah. totally uh, visible to other people, and they talk and and they wriggle and they have it's weight. Little, it's a little creepy at first, to be honest with you. <laughs> animal animated, it doesn't quite look right, you know. But in some level, I think that's part of what's interesting about the tone of the movie it's a little bit melancholic it's a little bit creepy because it is about an adult man sort of confronting you know the his workaholism yeah. and what's important and what he's lost from his youth and how he's treating his wife and child and what i went with my daughter um who has had her complaints about my workaholism over the years so i was very tuned in <laughs> to the degree to which she was responding to this narrative uh, from the point of view of the daughter and from the point of view of Pooh. There's this one moment, because it's really quite awful the way uh, Christopher Robin, grown up, is treating this interloper, this this creature that he loves, who he loves. He's he's really not treating him very well. And he's also um, at, at one point just shunting him aside and pushing him away and abandoning him. And my daughter was just devastated. By well, this. it's because like Pooh, I mean, Pooh represents absolute innocence, right? I mean, he's like, he does. He's 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 unsophisticated, but at the same time, and this is very wise. Thing, he's wise in the in the world because he, he's sort of at one with nature. He just he doesn't. He only thinks in terms of what's directly in front of him, and he lives in the it's moment. Be here now. There's a very right. Zen kind of Buddhist philosophy but going you know, it's on. Kind of interesting. I mean, this pro this project was originally written by Alex Ross Perry, which was a funny kind of thing. Idea. Yeah. Uh, and and. Um, and really, I feel like you can feel his voice when he writes Eeyore, because Alex Ross Perry movies like Listen Up, Philip, you know, they're kind of they're about these sort of anxiety riddled Philip Rothy type of characters, and that's Eeyore in a nutshell. It's like everything is Eeyore awesome. is a total hit. Yeah. we loved Eeyore. I felt like Eeyore 
Eeyore's is most people right now, you know, and Winnie the Pooh is what you want to be. <laughs> depressed. <laughs> depressed. Yeah. So you want to go from Eeyore to Pooh. That's, that's the spectrum. So I don't know. I mean, the movie. Very sad. That's the thing, though. This movie has a lot going on. Yeah, it's a I very mean, I was, strange film. I was charmed by it, actually. It worked uh, They were clearly the not pushing it on the, on the, I mean, I had to ask to see the movie, but, but it, it, no, they invited me, they invited me, but it was not, it was not like they were throwing it at me. Um, uh, I, I wonder, uh, I wonder what the reviews are going to be like. Well, it'll if be interesting. embargo on it until tonight, I mean, till Thursday night, right. why, why would they be so worried about these? Because, well, I think, Honestly, I, my suspicion is not, not that the reviews are expected to be that bad, but they're not going to be out of this world and that this this movie is so 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 strange, strange. And, and, and a hard sell that they kind of they can't risk, you know, just like having like a so-so word of mouth way in advance or something like that. Yeah. And you know, it is a I I would take kids to see this movie. Kids can no, watch the this kids movie in the audience it. Almost, loved it. But but I do think what's it didn't work for me for a while and it kind of crystallizes by the end. It's like the logic of the movie is a little hard to settle into because Mark Forrester who directed it, he's not like Spike Jones or somebody like that. I didn't feel like it was particularly well directed moment to moment, but it he's had going some really for the nice emotions. And I think that's yeah. what he ends up delivering. And you do end up rooting for the family to, to prevail. And it's just outrageous. There's some stuff going on where all the animals end up in London. Yeah. The adventure stuff it was like it was like wannabe Muppets take Manhattan or something like that. Or I didn't quite get to it. It's very yeah, similar yeah. to that sensibility, really. That's what they're going for, exactly. But there's definitely something there. And I think these sort of like mid-level budgeted Disney projects, like David Lauer doing Pete's Dragon or whatever, like it'll be interesting to go back and look at when we have a few more of them because they're, you know, it's like there's there's the people doing the Marvel movies and then there's the people doing the Disney movies. And the Disney movies, people, like that's a really interesting way to funnel kind of adult sensibility into something else. So it's it's worth looking at it and, and sort of considering, you know, the degree to which this movie seems to reflect both sensibilities from outside of the studio system and what a studio kind of wants to put out there, although I'm curious. But remember how- that the, the reason this movie exists is partly to bank on the fond memories of the original um, animated version. They have, they even have a song. They have the Tigger song in yep, there. Exactly. And a couple of Richard Sherman songs are in there. And then they have, um, they're, they're building up a new interest in these these characters for their stores, for the licensing, for the marketing, for the... For, for people to buy these toys again, that's their j- job. That's their goal. Um, but And so in given all of that kind of commerce behind it, I actually think the movie turned out rather well. And I give Alex Ross Perry due points. He deserves them. I also think uh, it's worth pointing out that this movie was conceived a couple of years ago, long before the beloved Paddington franchise took off. And uh, it's no Paddington 2. No. no, 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 no. Let's be straight about that. Nora liked it better, though. She liked this one better than Paddington. Yep, that's what she told but me. That, but that comparison will, will will come up. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's an interesting one. All right, so next week, hopefully, we'll have a few more of these uh, festival details ironed out, the Toronto opening night, so we don't have to keep speculating about it, and we'll get a couple more things sort of coming out of the ether as summer season 
winds down and we get ready for the fall. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy your weekend. You too, Eric. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.